0: Okay, our, uh, we have two passages today, two scripture passages. They come from, uh, first is from Exodus. And these are from the lectionary passages for today. So a lot of folks uh, who are preaching today, if, if they are, a lot of churches are canceled. But if, if other folks are doing this, this will uh, you'll have similar conversations here. Um, so we're in conversation with the larger church who are dealing with these same texts. So the first is from Exodus. So I'm using the Common English Bible. Uh, this is uh, a translation, it's, it's very, it's a good translation, it's good, uh, scholastically accurate, but also uh, very readable. Um, it's one of the only uh, major translations that uses contractions. Uh, instead of saying do not, it says don't, things like that. Um, and so it puts it in a language that's, that's fresh and, and easy to understand without compromising uh, accuracy, which I really like. So this first is from Exodus. This is from the Exodus story, um, chapter seventeen. The Exodus story uh, is the story where uh, God frees uh, the um, Israelites from bondage in Egypt. So it's the Moses story. Uh, Moses has um, gotten all the Israelites out of um, out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, and now they're in the wilderness. They end up being in the wilderness for about forty years, um, and uh, kind of wandering around in the wilderness because they're not doing what they should. Uh this that imagery that imagery of 40 years in the wilderness uh echoes 40 years, 40 days uh and nights of the rain in the ark and it then echoes um the 40 uh days that Jesus is in the wilderness um, before he starts his ministry and so um it's kind of in a sense it becomes that time of preparation uh for these people as they're going into the promised land um, before they get there. So this part of the story happens. They've gotten out of Egypt. They've been rescued. Uh, They got through the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea. If you think of Ten Commandments or the Prince of Egypt. Um, So Moses is part of the waters they've gone through. They're now out in the wilderness. Uh, And it's not desert that we think of like the Sahara. It's just uh, non uh, there's not a lot there. Uh, Lots of rocks. Lots of uh, desert vegetation. So not tons to eat. Not lots of animals. Things like that. And they're they have uh tens of thousands of people with them and so they've been uh they've been out there for uh several months to maybe a year or two and they hit a point now where they um they keep moving and they have no source of water and um oftentimes we think of the Israelites in the story as um, kind of complaining and stubborn and lack they lack faith eventually they do some pretty bad things they create <laughs> their own god but that's not yet here And so what they're asking for, listen to their request, um, and and don't hear it as uh, complaints. Hear it as as people who are in the middle of the desert who are thirsty, and what they're asking for. So this is from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. So hear the word of the Lord. The whole Israelite community broke camp and set out uh, from the Sin Desert, that's just the name of the desert, to continue their journey. As the Lord commanded, they set up their camp at Rephidim, where there was no water for the people to drink. The people argued with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why are you arguing with me? Why are you testing the Lord? But the people were very thirsty for water there, and they complained to Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us, our children and the livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what what should I do with these people? They're getting ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people, take some of the, of Israel's elders with you, take in your hand the shepherd's rod that you used to strike the Nile River, and go. I'll be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Hit the rock. Water will come out of it, and the people will be able to drink. Moses did so as Israel's leaders watched. He called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites argued with and tested the Lord. Saying, "Is the Lord really with us or not?" This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel lesson today comes from the Gospel of John. Um, again, in the lectionary, John is the one of the the lectionary is three year cycle, and so each of the synoptic gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke—each uh, get their own year. John doesn't get uh, its own year, but it does get kind of folded in, especially during Lent, which is where we are right now. We're in this in the middle of this season between. Um, Easter, and, or between Ash Wednesday and Easter. It's a 40-day period, like the time in the wilderness, uh, and uh, it's a time of con- contemplation and preparation for what's coming up. So uh, this is the Gospel of John, um, chapter 4. So this follows um, Jesus' uh, experience that we talked about last week which is uh, he meets with a, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes and meets with him in the middle of the night and asks Jesus, uh, is all this stuff you're saying true? And this is actually where you get John 3.16, which is the verse that everybody knows. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever would believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We all know it in the King James Version, as I just said. Uh, and then the next chapter, the next verse is even more important. Um, Verse 17, God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And so, oh, I got a message. Uh, and so the um, that whole passage is is explaining um, what Jesus is here to do and how Jesus can connect with people. Um, that, uh, sorry, um, that whole sense of, uh, of what Jesus is doing um changes the, the perspective and the fact that a Pharisee who is one of these religious leaders, uh, people who, uh, their job, it's, it's a church person. It's basically someone who is, um, who's a pastor who is trying to help people understand more about God. Um, they were threatened by Jesus because Jesus is largely coming in saying the way you guys are doing church is wrong. The way you are, um, you have gotten people obsessed with trying to be holy rather than trying to help each other, trying to love one another. And that was always the way. And so uh, Jesus was not an enemy of the church uh, or an enemy of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus was frustrated with them because they were the ones who were supposed to be leading. Um, we left you in charge and you're not doing anything. And, and not only that, you're leading people in the wrong way. You're getting them obsessed with being uh, righteous and forgetting that they're supposed to care. And to recognize that God has saved them and God has given them and God has grace for them, in spite of how good they are because you're never going to be good enough anyway uh, so that's this uh, he' his meeting with with Nicodemus and they meet in the middle of the night because Nicodemus is scared to be seen with Jesus because again Jesus is uh, a lot of the the church establishment doesn't like Jesus at this point because he's a threat to their power structure. So we get into this next passage this is in uh, chapter four. Jesus is going to a Samaritan village, and he encounters a woman at a well. Uh, The interesting thing and important thing to know about this is that the Samaritans and the Jews hate each other. Uh, Oftentimes we think of Samaritans, the initial thing we do is the good Samaritan. um, And that story only works because the, the Samaritan is not someone that anyone hearing that story would have valued as Samaritan. They would have thought, well, the Samaritan is the bad guy in this story. And so the story flips uh, the expectation of what that is. Again, this same story here, the Samaritans and the, um, the the Jews had broken apart. Both of them think that they are right. Both of them think that God has honored them. They even are in different places. Uh, the, the Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, um, that we heard in the last story, which is where Moses gets the Ten Commandments, Uh, the Samaritans think that that mountain was actually a mountain called Mount Gerizim, which is all like a little bit further away from Jerusalem. So they say that that's the holy mountain. They say that they have uh, an old Testament. They have 10 commandments that are slightly different. They have an old Testament that's slightly different. Uh, it's not unlike, uh, if you put a lot of hatred into it, it's not unlike the difference between, um, Christians and, and Mormons, um, the, the differences in there, they're kind of separate texts and they had, they believe that they have a special calling and a special knowledge and awareness. So, um, and anyway, and the, and the Samaritans, uh, people had, uh, Jews had gone into the mountain and destroyed their temple. there. uh, Samaritans had gone and tried to do destructive things to them. So they, they, not only dislike each other, they actively hate each other. And so Jews were not welcome with the Samaritans and Samaritans are not welcome with the Jews. All of that perspective helps to understand this story. When we hear Samaritan, this is not a positive place for Jesus to be. Jesus is very much a Jewish man uh, going in and into a Samaritan village, which is not what anyone would do. The Samaritans don't want him there. Uh, a normal Jew wouldn't go through there. He's also uh, talking to a woman, which Jewish men did not do. So here is uh, John chapter 4, verses 4 through uh, 42. So it's a little bit longer. So listen to the word of the Lord from John. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land of Jacob uh, that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to to the well also. Um, Sorry. A Samaritan woman uh, came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy him some food. The Samaritan woman asked, Why do you, a Jewish man, ask something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. Jesus responded, If you recognized God's gift, and who was saying to you, Give me some water to drink, you would be asking him, uh, you would be asking him, and would give, uh, sorry, You would be asking him, and he would give you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you don't have a bucket, and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave this well to us and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become, in those who drink it, a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will never be thirsty again, and I will never need to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, get your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I don't have a husband. You are right to say I don't have a husband, Jesus said. You've had five husbands, and the man who is now uh, who you are with now isn't your husband. You've spoken the truth. The woman said, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it is necessary to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, "Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people will worship what you you and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because of salvation is from the Jews, but the time is coming, and is here." the time when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The father looks for those who worship him this way. God is spirit, and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will teach everything to us. Jesus said to him, Jesus said to her, I am the one who speaks with you. Just then Jesus' disciples arrived and were shocked that he was speaking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? The woman put down her water jar and went into the city. She said to the people, come, see the man who has told me everything I've done. Could this be the Christ? They left the city and were on their way to see Jesus. In the meantime, the disciples uh, spoke to Jesus saying, Rabbi, eat. Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples asked each other, they brought some. Is he, has someone brought him food? Jesus said to them, I am fed by, the, uh, by doing the will of the one who sent me and by completing his work. Don't you have a saying? Four, months, uh, four, four more months and then it's time for harvest? Look, I tell you, open your eyes and notice that the fields are already ripe with harvest. There is a harvest. Uh, those who harvest are receiving their pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that those who sow and those who harvest will celebrate together. This is a true saying, that one sows and another harvests. I have yet sent sent you to harvest what you didn't work for, and others worked hard, and you will share in their hard work. Many Samaritans in the city believed in Jesus because of the woman's uh, testimony. Uh, He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two more days. Many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, "We no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves, and know that this is the one. This one is the true Savior of the world." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, please pray with me, Almighty God. Open our hearts. Open our minds. May your word be found in my words. Amen. So, this story, this long story that we have um, in the Gospel of John, is about uh, so much more than uh, just water. Uh, a lot of times when we talk about water, we we jump right to baptism, and neither of these are really talking about baptism. Um, it's, it's not wrong to think about baptism in this context, but it's talking about something more. So um, first off, there's a, there's a bunch of things going on here. Again, Jesus shouldn't be in this village. He shouldn't be talking to this woman. Um, and something about the conversation that she ha- that he has with this, or the, the mere fact that he's encountering this woman tells us something about the woman. So the women of the, of the uh, village would go to the well in the morning, And in the evening, one, they go in these times because it's uh, very cool in those times of day. You get water for the day by going in the morning and you get water for the evening uh, by going at night. Also, they go at these times because um, everybody else goes at these times. So it's a social time to get together, to talk to each other, to kind of greet one another at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. Um, Things like that. This woman is the only one there and it's in the middle of the day. This is the worst time to get water because it would be the hottest time of day and nobody's there. So she's going very intentionally because nobody's there. And we get a sense of this because of what Jesus says about her. So Jesus says, uh, you don't have a husband. You have had five husbands um, and the person you're living with now is not your husband. It's really important that we understand the context of this. There's a cultural context that's going on that we don't really understand um, because it's not our context. And so um, we hear this oftentimes, and this gets uh, this this passage. A lot of these passages in the Bible can get used in very toxic ways. Uh, Bibles has been a a great weapon for many people in the in the worst possible way uh, throughout history, and that's not what this passage is about. This is not an adulterous woman who um, is a chronic um, remarrier. Uh, This is instead, because in that context, and and everyone would have known this in Jesus's day, is that uh, if you had been an adulteress in that part, you would be killed. It was a a capital offense to be an adulteress. And so if this woman had cheated on that many husbands, she wouldn't have had the chance. She would have been stoned to death. Um, The only reason for, unless all five of her husbands died, which is tragic and unlikely, the mo The other most likely way in which these uh, her having five husbands um, would have been if she was barren. If you were barren, if you were unable to have children, you would be allowed to um, uh, have um, an annulment, basically. like the it, it, because women were given so little agency, the main function of a marriage was it was less about love and it was a business agreement. You became property of the man's household. And the main chore that you had, the main function that a woman served was to give children to her husband. And so if a woman couldn't have children, then again, thinking of marriage as a business proposition, this product that has been bought does not serve the function that it needs. And so you are allowed to um, return the product without a cost. And so divorce uh, or annulment in that sense could happen because the woman was unable to have children. And her value within that culture was seen as zero. And so she was um, married five different times by five different people, again, likely having all of these marriages annulled because she continues to not have children. And each man that married her probably was in a worse situation than the one before. And then finally, she's living with a man who just has pity on her. So she is within the household of that man. It doesn't mean that she is living in this unmarried sexual relationship with this man, it probably just means that he has allowed her to become part of the household. So she is um, probably um, serving as a maid in a sense or a a servant to this household just so that she has shelter, so that she's protected. Um, Someone who's had pity on her. Um, But it's still, it's not a positive situation. So this woman's life is, is hard. We know this again because she's coming in the middle of the day. Because she is uh, staying away from people. Because she is um, not connected to the normal rhythms of this life. And Jesus pointing this out is not saying, you're a terrible person. I know you. I know all your sins. He's just saying, I know your situation. I know the thing that you don't want to talk about. I know exactly your scenario. Him pointing this out would have been recognized by her of, you know then my big sadness is that I can't have children. And that's the one thing that... Um, is valued in this culture, and so based on this culture, I have no value, and that—that's a terrible existence to—to—to to, to feel as though everyone is saying you are worthless. And so Jesus talking to her is saying, "Well, I can give you worth. I can give you um, something that—that that is more than just being a domestic person uh, and having this limited function within the society. I can give you something." Um, And then they have this interesting debate about like, well, you, the Jews believe this and we believe that. And, uh, but we both believe that the Messiah is going to come back. And she says, and again, the word Messiah is a Hebrew word for Christ, which is a Greek word for savior. So it's all the same thing. Um, And so she says, well, the the Messiah is going to come and he's going to tell us everything. And Jesus says, yeah, that's me. And then immediately the interesting thing she does is she leaves her water and goes and tells everybody. She leaves her water because she has been given the living water. Like She has now been received this notion that, oh, everything's going to change. My worth is not based on my function within this kind of twisted culture. My worth is based on something bigger. And she immediately goes out and tells people. This is the first time in John's Gospel where there is someone who goes out and evangelizes, who goes and tells the good news, tells of hey, there's a person who's done this thing. We have disciples, but they haven't gone out spreading stuff yet. And it's telling, as in many of the other Gospels, in many situations throughout the Bible, that women are the one who lead the way, who spread the word of the church, who are given the authority to be the voice to spread this, which is interesting, again, in that culture, because women's voice had no authority. And so for God to have chosen women as the people who are empowered to be the leaders in this church is really, really important. And we miss that a lot of times, again, as the the church has been used to do toxic things, um, and to enforce this, this toxic sense of masculinity, that men are more important. Jesus is saying right off the bat, no, that's not the case. And we're going to use women as the voices to spread this, to to show that there's a connection here that we are missing. And so, um, she goes out and tells everybody, and they hear it. They ask Jesus to stay there, and then after a while, they—that's they, even this—is not a slam where they say we don't believe you anymore. They just say we had believed because of you, but now we have—we've experienced this for ourselves. This gets then paralleled in the story of uh, Thomas, which happens only in. Uh, John's Gospel, with where Thomas, after the resurrection, says, "I, I, you believe because you've seen, and I, I, I won't believe until I see. Because he wants to see the risen Christ, he was the only one who didn't see. Um, he gets called doubting Thomas because of that. And then when Jesus does say, he said, there are other people who believe because uh, uh, or you didn't believe until you saw, and now you do. And so you're blessed now that you've seen, and, and other people believe, even though ha- they haven't seen this. Uh, you get echoes, kind of pre-echoes of that uh, in this story where they they say to the woman, now we believe because we've seen. And they call Jesus the Savior. They call him Messiah, the first ones to do this. The Samaritans, the people who the Jews hate, who everyone thinks is wrong, who say that you've gotten it all wrong, you're going down the wrong path, and you're a distraction, and uh, not only that, but you're heretics, and we want to get rid of you. That's who Jesus uh, goes to, and those are the first people who proclaim him as the Messiah before he's died, like before anything, before the resurrection. Uh, in the, in the passage right before this, we get Jesus saying, uh, the, that Jesus came into the world to save the entire world. And this is showing us right off the bat. This is what we mean, not just the Jewish world, not just the world that you expect, but everybody, not just your friends, but your enemies and the people who you think are not even worth it. Uh, that's, who's going to be saved by this. So what do we take from this? Um, we, uh, to, to bring the Exodus in real quick, we see in the Exodus story, the, the people are asking for something that makes sense. They're in the middle of the desert. They need water. They're not just saying, no, I don't like this food. They do complain about a lot of stuff later. That's a little, uh, a little much, but this is one that's a reasonable thing to ask about. We need water or we will die. And what is the point in God bringing us out here to kill us? That doesn't make any sense. Why would God just bring us out here to let us die? We need water. Uh, and Moses says, I would love to give you water, but I can't, I don't have the ability. And he asks God and he says, what am I going to do? I don't have any water. And God just says, we'll we'll, we'll give you water and water is here. And he doesn't just magically make water appear in some special place. He uses the terrain. And so water appears from the rock, but it appears from the rock. It's not just a giant lake all of a sudden in front of the people. So it's, Searching for God with the, even in that, the thing that you least expect, which is kind of what Jesus is doing. Jesus is finding God in the places that feel like desert, the place uh, that no Jewish person would go looking for God in amongst the Samaritans. So what does that mean for us in the middle of these places that we are all kind of stuck in the wilderness? We're all not in the places that we want to be today. We are in the or places we expected to be. Maybe I'm sure it's very nice to be home right now. Um, but we are in the places uh where we aren't really sure where we're going to end up Um, we are hoping that everybody will be okay that this um, virus will be contained that the the things that we're doing now to uh sort of flatten the curve of um the anticipated uh outbreak of this especially within our country and our communities um that those things would be effective enough that if we do this right, nothing happens. We just go back to regular life. But right now we don't know what's going to happen. So we're doing our due diligence um, to help people. So how does that connect to this story? The the ways in which we, we can see that Jesus is going into places that we don't expect is, is changing these perspectives. It's, It's opening up the sense of what community is. As we are in the midst of um, self-quarantining, of social distancing, we do this um, not just for ourselves, but we do this for a sense of the larger community. One of the biggest struggles in this is that for most people under the age of 60, this is not a life-threatening, at this point, this is not a life-threatening illness. Um, Little kids can get sick without even noticing, which which is wonderful because it would be uh, an illness that, that targets, um, young people is, is so tragic. It's not to, to put a greater value on young people than the lives of the elderly, but it's just, it's a horrible situation. And so there's lots of people who will not be affected by this. Even if the outbreak gets really bad, they will just get a little bit sick and then they'll be fine. And so there's lots of people that could say, you know what, I'm just going about my daily life. I'm just going to keep on going. Um, but, that hasn't happened by and large. By and large, things have said overall we're going to stop. Businesses are protecting their employees by saying we're not going to have as many long hours as possible. Um, entire industries, ha- multi-million dollar industries have shut down to try to lessen the, the, the overall reach of this thing. And in the midst of that, we have, um, as a culture, seen community as something bigger than just individuals because it most individuals are going to be fine. Uh, but me being a potential carrier for this can really threaten somebody else's life, someone who is immunocompromised, someone who is uh, within that elderly demographic that is uh, the most at risk for this. And so while it doesn't hurt me to go about my daily business as much, there's limited risk, it does hurt somebody else for me to go about my daily business. And so in the midst of seeing that community is a little bigger, uh, this process, what we're doing right now, is is perhaps the most Christian thing that could be done uh, as a country that that is really interesting. And the fact that so many churches have called off worship today, on one level it feels like we should never close the church, especially in a time of sanctuary. But on another level, the church is not here to glorify itself. The church is here to bring life and to bring life um, to all people. And we do that through smart practices and uh, being a true neighbor, not just um, self-edification or or getting filled on our own, but um, being life-giving people. And we do that in the midst of this process right now. The other thing that I would put, uh, the other big point to take away from this and the way it connects to where we are right now is is in the Exodus passage, the sense that there is life-giving water amongst us, even if we don't find it. And so what I would encourage each of us to do in the midst of this kind of extended snow day or a quarantine or house arrest or whatever, even like to think of it, uh, these, especially these couple weeks where it seems like everything's really shutting down, especially where we are in Western Pennsylvania, that's the the case. It's been shut down kind of through the end of March. Um, So as your life has changed, whether depending on how unlimited you are, uh, kids are off of school, um, our schedules have changed, our, our regular routines, our rhythms are different. And so the challenge is we can be surly. We can be complaining about how there's no, there's not what we want here in the wilderness, or we can be opening our eyes to what God is putting before us. Try to see the things that are present um, in this season, in this time. See this time as a gift. Uh, Where is the life-giving water amongst the rocks that you are stuck in right now? Um, Where's the water that you've never seen before? Where are the places that you've never seen? What are some things that you can do with your kids that you wouldn't normally do? What are some things that you can do with your spouse that you wouldn't normally do? What are some things that you can do with yourself that you wouldn't have normally done? Uh, What are some ways in which you can connect with your neighbors that you wouldn't have normally done? Um, One of the biggest things about this is that there, we are stuck in our communities, we are not isolated. We still have now an opportunity to be the body of Christ in a way that we don't usually have. Um, This is a real opportunity for us to put that into practice, to not just come together to be the church, but to live in the world as the church. And so this opportunity to not be together physically allows us to be physically closer to those um, amongst whom we, we live on a daily basis. So ask your neighbors how you can help them. If you have things you can share, share it. If they have things they need, help them with it. If you have things you need, ask your neighbors. Let them be um, the good Samaritan for you. Let them be life-giving water to you. Uh, Notice that just because we don't meet together doesn't mean we are in any way diminished as a church. In some ways, it gives us greater opportunity to be the church. And so that's my encouragement to you. That's what I would say on this day is that, that Christ is with us. That as the church, we are not meant to be boxed up in a room once a week. We are meant to be alive in the world. And as we are forced into this situation where we have to change our schedules, we can spend this two weeks lamenting and frust- being frustrated. And then at the end, if it works out all right, being frustrated is like, what's the point of that? We Everybody's fine. Because if we do everything right, nothing happens. We just go back to regular life. And, and we won't realize what how big the catastrophe could have been. Um, which is one of the most ironic things about all of this. And so don't do that. Don't spend this time being frustrated uh, more than you need to, but spend this time changing your rhythm, changing your awareness of the the rocks around you, changing your awareness of where the the life-giving water may be, changing your awareness of who your neighbor is, uh, of the people that you wouldn't normally talk to, the would, people you wouldn't normally extend um help to see that woman who goes to the well at a time differently than everybody else that you may not have noticed why she did that before and then you start to realize oh she's never around other people maybe there's something she's struggling with that i had never noticed before you have the chance to do that now you have the chance that everything is paused um so let's do that now see god in the midst of where you are usually we go to where we think God is, which is usually a church building to see God. But God is where you are. Um, as we wrap up, um, I, I have a benediction that I give um, every week, which is effectively this. Um, as you go from this place, know that there is nowhere that you can go which God is not already present. You don't, we don't go into the world bringing God to the world. We go into the world following God out into a world in which God is alive and active, bearing witness to what God is saying, Uh, bearing witness to God in what we say and do, uh, in in everything. And that is the most true right now. Um, We are not coming here to get God. Hang on. That's a good one. Uh, We are not, uh, you don't not get God by not being at church. Um, we just don't have the normal rhythms and God is present there. So I would encourage you to see God where you are, to know that God is alive in the world, even as we are boxed up in our houses uh, and God is alive in your neighborhood. So open your eyes to what God may be showing you in, on this day, in this place at this time for the people around you, whether it's the people in your family or the people in your neighborhood or the people that you know of who are, um, perhaps more vulnerable than others, people with diabetes, people with heart conditions, people, um, who are otherwise healthy, um, are at greater risk to this and maybe incredibly concerned. Maybe going to the store to get some bread for somebody is a very simple task for you and incredibly helpful for them because they have a fear of this thing that you can't relate to because you're not in the same, um, demographic that they are. So that would be my encouragement to you. Uh, God is good, and God is around, and God is even in the midst of this process. Let us reflect God in all that we say and in all that we do this day in the places that we have been called to be this day. So that's it. I'm going to add some music so that I think that'll be a separate video. Um, But I would encourage you to um, enjoy this time. Uh, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, even now. There is good today. When I meet with the preschool kids, one of the things that I always say with them, I have a regular preschool chapel, I say that um, this is the day the Lord has made. And that means that today is a gift. And so your job is to be like detectives to find the good that is in today. Because just because God made today doesn't mean bad things won't happen. Bad things happen every day. And if we only see the bad things, we're going to miss the gift that today is. And so, your job, just like it is with the preschool kids, is to search for the good that is there in today and to help others see that, to be detectives for what makes um, today a good day, and to uh, share that joy that you find with everybody that you meet, even if it's only a couple people, or even if you live alone and it's just with your cat. Um, Share the, the joy that you find this day.